but I've also been in the position where I, I myself have been the, the strength coach for younger uh, hockey players. And for, the, for some of those guys who either don't have a lot of exposure to training uh, to begin with or who have mobility issues or they're working around injuries, there's definitely uh, ways that you can accomplish training safely without you know, having to incorporate those higher risk movements like snatch and clean and jerk. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your guest host, Jake Boley, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com in partnership with Ghost Strong Equipment. Hayden Bowe is one of the founders and owners of Hybrid Performance Method. Throughout his career, Hayden has worked with thousands of individuals and is an accomplished weightlifter and powerlifter. In today's episode, I chat with Hayden about a variety of training topics, but one in particular that I really enjoyed, and I hope you do too, was training youth athletes and how to do it correctly. As always, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast, so if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbin Podcast in your app of choice. Every month, we give away a box full of Barbin swag to one of our listeners who leaves a rating and review. We are here on the Barbin Podcast with Hayden Bow in Miami, Florida. Hayden, last time I was in Miami, you were stuck in Canada. Happy you're here. What's going on? What's new in the life? What's new at Hybrid? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, last time you were here, I was stuck in Canada waiting on uh, a visa. So I, I was actually there waiting for, I think it was about seven months. Felt like the longest seven months of my life. But uh, luckily, that's where my family's from. I got to hang out with them. And uh, there's a little bit of silver lining there. But, uh, you know, once I got back from that, it was, we were all moving pretty quick. I was, uh, we were in the process of getting the new, the new gym facility. So we moved from the smaller hybrid HQ one to what we call hybrid 2.0, which is over double the size of the, the one that we were at before. And, uh, coincidentally we, we met Tim from, uh, go strong equipment who was totally a blessing that, uh, you know, they were, he was looking at starting, uh, a new company and we were, we needed all brand new equipment for the gym and we were able to, you know, work, work something out with him to get some pretty awesome equipment. I don't know if you know, you weren't there at the gym earlier, but, uh, we just got in all new stuff from, uh, from ghost, uh, all new combo racks. They've actually, they've been awesome. I, I might as well give them a little plug here while I have the, the platform, but they, uh, the, not just the the quality of the stuff they make, but the customer service that they have is has been awesome. Like I thought the combo racks that we had were perfect, and Tim was just one day said, "Hey, I think we can make those combo racks better. Let me send you brand new ones." So they just arrived at the gym, and I, you know they thought of things that I wouldn't have even thought about. Like uh, you know I didn't I, I could look at the old combo rack and be like, "This thing's perfect. I don't understand how you could." you know, improve on this, but then they'll have like quick releases of how you can take the face savers out for a squat and like just all these little, little things that I'll show you later when we're at the gym, but, uh, little things that, you know, they just put so much thought and energy and time into, to making good equipment that, uh, it, it really shows in the work. So that's cool. lucky to, uh, to, to have a, a cool partnership with them. But, uh, yeah, HQ, 
hybrid 2.0 has been been going well. Um, we've been just working on, you know, we were improving that for a while, built, doing all the build out for that. Started the apparel business. Uh, now you got a new facility for the uh, the apparel business, so everything's kind of just moving and growing in the right direction. Busy, so, busy, yeah, so so busy. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. And I appreciate you sharing all that detail. But before we really dive into this full podcast, I'd love to hear a little bit more of your origin story, just for listeners who might not know exactly who you are just yet, and kind of your journey into strength through sport. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I was always pretty uh, drawn towards you know exercising and athletics and sports. I think I started playing hockey when I was like four years old, which is, which is not abnormal in Canada. Um, when I got to, I think grade five, I don't know how old you're in grade five, like 10 or 11. That's when my dad started letting me work out and like kind of coaching me towards just doing body weight stuff. Um, and I did that for grade five and six in grade seven my dad started training at a gym in Toronto called Station 7, which was owned by a guy named Gary Roberts who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So a lot of the Leafs would train there. It was a really cool environment. Uh, I started going there. I would take the train down after school and work out at, at that place. And, you know, they had a lot of really great trainers, um, some of whom competed in Olympic weightlifting. So that's sort of where I got my first introduction to that. Um, it, I would see them doing it at that gym. And every time I saw it, I'd be like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And the trainers were like, no, you can't too young. Like we'll wait till, you know, you have a bit better foundation. You know, I was pushing really hard to do that though. Cause it looked so much cooler than all the other stuff that I was doing in the gym. Um, and you know, the weight training was, a uh, was an emphasis for me because I was uh, a smaller guy. You know, I think I hit my full height in grade, grade six or seven. I was five, nine, I'm still five, nine. So uh, right around that age, was you know grade grade seven and eight I think was when people had like some big growth spurts and stuff like that and uh, you know I had friends or people who I was playing against who were over six feet tall so I had to differentiate myself in a different way and when they finally started letting me do Olympic weightlifting that was sort of the the, the way I was able to do that so I took it very seriously I had a coach who um, it was actually the coach of one of the trainers at the gym who competed in Olympic weightlifting. And he would only coach me if I competed in Olympic weightlifting. So they wouldn't, uh, you know, they took it seriously and they treated it as a sport. Even if you, even if it wasn't your main sport, they wanted you to treat it as though it was. And so that's what I did. I sort of begrudgingly competed in weightlifting so that I could do the training for hockey. Uh, I did that for a number of years, all the way until I was, I think, 18 and went off to uh, university and... I just I quit all sports going into my first year of university, kind of lying to myself saying I was going to focus on studying, you know, like everybody says, and uh, obviously didn't. You know, had a fun time in first year, goofed around a bunch, uh, and then you know started getting a little more serious in second year, and also in second year I was uh, I was missing the athletic component of my life. You know, I had no no outlet my whole life. I, I was an athlete, and whether it was hockey or Olympic weightlifting, I you know I. I loved competing. So, uh, I found another weightlifting coach who was close to where I was living and, uh, started taking that very seriously. Uh, and that was my main sport. So did weightlifting for a few years. I had some injuries associated just with the fact, I think that I was weak relative to the amount of weight that I could, 
lift in weightlifting. You know, if you if you look at a lot of the durable and most successful weightlifters, they have big. They're able to squat a lot. They have a big strength um, surplus over what they can snatch and clean and jerk. You know, you see guys like Lou. They're clean and jerking 200, 205, and they're squatting like 300 kilos. And back then, I think when my best uh, clean was like 180 kilos, I could front squat like 185. So it was like every time I had to do a heavy lift, I was crushing myself. And I had a few injuries and decided, you know, that I was just going to step back from Olympic weightlifting just to focus on the strength portion of it. Because I think a lot of people get that confused. You think of weightlifting as a strength sport, and in a lot of ways it is. But strength is secondary to the actual skill and the sport of weightlifting. You know, it's, it's a supplement that allows you to be better at the sport just like strength training is for many other sports like football or hockey or all those other things. But um, I was lacking in that area and just wanted to focus on it. And I expected to return to weightlifting and compete in that again and that powerlifting was going to be just a temporary thing. For a while I did compete in both. And then uh, I just really, I loved the, the sport. I loved how inclusive it was, you know, I felt it was still a very competitive sport, but you go to weightlifting meets, and I don't know if the if it's the same because I haven't competed much in Olympic weightlifting in in the states, but in Canada, it's very uh, like segregated and and clicky. So you know, you go to the meet, and it's like, oh, I can't talk to these people because they're friends with this other gym, and like there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, whereas in powerlifting, it was just like a big bro sesh, and I, I loved that aspect of it. And that's really what kept me in the sport. I loved it. I loved getting stronger. I saw a lot of progress, I think. In the first first couple of years of powerlifting, I just ran Smolov for my squat like over and over again and luckily survived. And uh, I took my squat from like, I don't know, maybe 200 kilos to 290 kilos in, in like a, you know, a pretty short period of time just, just focusing on squat. And... Uh, that was a level of progress that I had never experienced before because I've never had that sort of direct focus. And uh, I think that was very attractive to me at the time and, and why I'm a big portion of why I'm still in it now. Yeah. And I love, I love all that. I have a lot of questions to follow all that up, but something I want to talk about is something that you just literally referenced is the focus on one aspect at a time. And if you ask, I think anybody on social media who follows you to a T if there's one thing I think everybody would say in common, it's that you can grind the F out of a sticking point and not have technical breakdown. So what you just said kind of, I think, alludes to that, but how important is it to you, for you to practice the specificity of a movement to make sure that there is no technical breakdown when sticking points arise or when that strength curve kind of might outweigh what you're able to do and still be proficient in the movement? And Kind of how have you approached that and how have you structured your training to accommodate for that? And when working with clients, how do you do that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think it it really just comes down to um, you getting better at what you practice. So if you choose to have a particular technique and you practice that technique all the time, that becomes your default technique. Uh, you know, so for a very long time, I was strict with the way that I deadlifted and squatted and, and benched and I did it very strictly and it, that became the strongest movement, the strongest movement patterns I had for those lifts. So it's like if I have, you know, when, when the lift gets heavy and I fail the lift, that's the strongest 
movement pattern for the deadlift that I have is with a straight back. So if I miss it, it's because I miss the weight and gravity wins, but it's not because, you know, my back gets all bent and, and, and out of position. So it's, I think that in the current state of strength sports, there's a huge tendency to overanalyze and over coach things. And I made a post, uh, maybe a year or two ago about this exact topic. And the title of it was just don't do shit wrong ever. And I, and I think it sounds overly simplistic, but it really is that simple. If you just never do a movement wrong and you never teach yourself to do it with poor form, that will never be what you default to when the weight is heavy. It just becomes your one and only technique. And then if you fail, you fail. And I think that that's the approach I've always taken. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I do it the way that I do. So talking about that approach. So let's say I'm a newer lifter who's very like invested in the social media and they see all these folks pushing these big weights and they want to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. What would you tell them when it comes to like, hey, you're having some technical breakdown at this percentage. What would be your game plan? Like, should you scale back to a certain intensity? If so, what's that intensity? And kind of like, is there a duration that you kind of look to to be like, okay, you've been technically proficient for this long. Now you can start upping the weight. Or like, what's your kind of approach to the lifter who might be a little bit over um, overzealous with their strength and what they actually possess versus like, how much exposure they've had with a certain technique. Yeah, I, th- I think it's individual. I don't think there's any set percentage. Like it's not like, yeah. you know, train at 70 or 75%. People might experience different levels of breakdown at different percentages just based on their strength, strengths and weaknesses. But um, I, think, I think in general, uh, it's, it's pretty tough for people, especially with social media, just because the instant gratification is there. You know, you hit a PR and you put it out on the internet and people tell you a great job and you feel good about yourself. But I've always thought, you know, if, if a lift looks gross, I'm not, I was never proud of it. You know, it's not like, you know, if you do a snatch and you have a huge arm bend or, you know, you do a deadlift in your backgrounds, it's never something that I would want to post. I would always want just my lifts to look good. And for whatever reason, that was more important to me than the actual exact number on the bar for a long time. And I think it, it paid off because of it. But um, in terms of, of how I would tell new lifters to approach it, I think if you go into it with the mindset that the perfect or, you know, quote unquote, perfect technique or, you know, the safest, straightest technique is the best technique and you make that your only technique and you don't give yourself the option to, to do anything else, you'll, you'll never run into the problem of, of having poor technique. So it's just like if if you get to a point where your back's going to bend, you miss. That's you miss the weight. If you can't get it with good technique, you can't get it. Period. And then those maxes should become your your actual maxes that you're basing your training off of. And you just continue to train like that, and you should never, you know, aside from injury and, and other things like that, there should be no reason why everybody can't pull or squat or bench the way that they want it to yeah. to look. Totally. On the topic of working through sticking points or areas where there might be a little bit of a normal technical breakdown, how important for, is it for you to program in like variations or different basically movement patterns for certain big lifts that will strengthen a very specific lifting posture? For example, like if my technique is overall good in the deadlift, but I am noticing some background or like let's say my hips are rising a little bit too quick in the sumo, how important is it for you to 
just practice the movement itself versus adding in some variance or actual some like sticking point work for a certain area? Uh, I personally, and in working with people, have not seen a huge difference uh, with training like a full lift versus a variation of a lift. Like say if someone has a sticking point around the knee and you do a bunch of block pulls from the knee, hoping that's going to fix it. Uh, I don't see a huge amount of carryover doing that. I think it's good to mix up where you're pulling from just to, to have different stimulus in your training and stuff. But as a way to like target that, it's just a very different movement to start from zero tension at the knee, uh, you know, and pull from there versus pulling from the ground with momentum. Like it, it's a completely different lift. So I don't think there's a ton of, of transferability, but I think the way that you could approach something like that, you know, for example, people who are experiencing background was, or backgrounding or missing at the knee, I think was one of the ones that you mentioned. Uh, I think the biggest issue that you, you find there is that people have weak glutes. So, you know, if you, if you see a lot of backgrounding, the first instinct most people have is to go do a bunch of back work, you know? Oh, I have rounding the back, I'm going to do a bunch of RDLs and weighted uh, back extension and, and so on. And I think it's a little bit misguided because I think when you see a lot of rounding in the back, it's because people are actually favoring the structures that are, are stronger for them and they're using uh, extension of their back to complete the lift. Whereas if you're doing the lift properly, you're relying on the main extensor of the hip, which is the glutes. So it's basically when the glutes fail, you can see a lot of back rounding. And if the, the glutes are functioning properly, in most cases, you shouldn't see a lot of back rounding. So something you could do for that is like weighted hip bridges or uh, speed deadlift is a good one, dimmel deadlift, things like that. Um, not where you're like just targeting the sticking point per se, but where you're targeting the actual issue that's causing the sticking point. I love that. It's like a multi-approach to solving one problem is I think I, I, I agree with that with a lot of clients I have a lot of their instinct is like oh I need to build my back and it's like no you need to look at what else is breaking down in the chain like where is this actually going wrong and what's the main prime mover so let's say somebody comes to you and their first initiative is to strengthen their back and you're like your glutes are obviously weak how do you program that for improving the deadlift? Just basically, like I want to know that I want to know how you would improve their strength and form with the additional supplementary work to strengthening what's actually weak. How, like how much of the glute work would you actually put into the program, and how much would you have them do on a regular basis? Just to give maybe listeners an idea of who might be running into this problem, but they might not know how to actually approach it and program it for themselves. Sure, I, I think. Uh a less is more approach is always better. I think uh, a lot of people, they'll, they'll identify an issue and then they'll just go so hard on that issue without sort of giving themselves any time to adapt or change uh, or to, the, to a new stimulus. You know, If you're working very hard and you're following a program that's progressively overloading the way that it should and then you just throw in like 20 sets of something extra, it's going to crush you. So I think starting small, you know, add in some, some glute bridges or hip thrusts, uh, you know, add do a three, three or four by 10, you know, and start progressively overloading that movement as a supplemental lift. Um, and, and see how you feel, you know, are you still recovering fine? You know, are you able to go back into your next deadlift session and feel okay without being fatigued, uh, and all that stuff. And then, and then build from there. And that, that's one example of exercises you can do. But I mean, if yeah. you're doing it, if you're getting your glutes stronger in what in whichever way you choose, that's going to translate over to lifting more and 
squat and deadlift. So, you know, find exercises that, that appeal to you, that work for your anatomy, that aren't going to crush you and, and do that. I love that. So it's not a full change of the course of what you're doing. It's finding ways to implement new structure in that's not going to totally shift your energy allotment, what you're used to, and everything else, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think for the most part, you know, most powerlifters who are still actively powerlifting, they're still in the sport because they're still making progress. So there's always going to be things that you can improve on and that you should work on. And, you know, it's a constant game of trying to figure that out. But it doesn't mean you should just totally take a, a new route or derail what you're doing right now. Yeah, I totally hear that. So I want to go back to something you brought up when you were younger, and that's wanting to train when you were playing hockey as a youth athlete. And this is going to be a little bit of a dicey chat because I feel like people get, I don't want to say triggered, but they get a little bit up in arms when you talk about youth athletes training, more specifically lifting in the gym. So I want to kind of pick your brain on kind of what you think of that whole topic and best approaches for it because... When I was younger too, like we talked about like playing in the same tournaments of hockey growing up, like traveling all around. And my dad too started me lifting when I was like 10, 11, 12. He was a college football player. Like he was like, you're getting in the gym, you're training. He bought like a Bowflex machine. I had a little easy bar curl, man. I was down there like always training. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on kind of what you think of having youth athletes lift and supplement to their sport and kind of where people get it wrong, why people get it wrong, and kind of the best ways to approach it. So to kind of start this conversation, why do you think people get so up in arms when it comes to younger athletes who already play, let's say, sports like hockey, football, lacrosse, whatever it might be, soccer, lifting in the gym? Uh, I think it's just a want to misunderstanding about the risk versus reward, and uh, also that the risk is different for everybody depending on on what sort of coaching you're exposed to. So I think, you know, obviously there's some misconceptions that have been around forever, like stunting your growth and all that stuff, which I feel like has been debunked enough that I don't need to dive into that yeah. one. But, uh, you know, just in terms of a safety thing and, and, and a risk management issue, I mean, if you're going to be a guy who's self-taught and you're 10 years old and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, exercise in the gym, I wouldn't say, you know, go in and max out the snatch bench or snatch clean and jerk and do heavy deadlift squat and you know uh bench press but you know like i said it really depends on what level of coaching you're exposed to i was fortunate enough to have really high level coaches at at a young age so i was able to learn all those things and do it relatively low risk but i've also been in the position where i i myself have been the the strength coach for younger uh hockey players and for the, for some of those guys who either don't have a lot of exposure to training uh, to begin with, or who have mobility issues, or they're working around injuries, there's definitely uh, ways that you can accomplish training safely without you know having to incorporate those higher risk movements like snatch and clean and jerk. You know, we very rarely would have the hockey players doing snatch. You know, it, it, one the the time investment versus the reward that comes out of it it takes so much time to teach a hockey player or a football player or whatever or any sort of athlete a proper snatch when it's like you could probably get similar benefits from teaching them just how to do a power clean and squatting and and you know doing other movements so that was the approach that we took uh when when training hockey players specifically was you know getting them to do 
sort of like the the broader, more introductory movements, but that still required power, speed, timing, those sort of things. Uh, but that just didn't take. It wasn't like, well, stop everything you're doing in the gym for six months while I teach you how to snatch. You know, so I think I think there's a fine line. But uh, again, I mean, we're, we're I think we're fortunate now. Uh, especially young kids that there there's so many resources out there and even if you go back to when we we were kids it's like i was just doing what my dad told me to do yeah, exactly you know and that was like i just believed whatever he said was was good and luckily he was well enough educated in strength training that you know i, I yeah. didn't kill myself but uh you know if you were somebody else who didn't have that exposure to someone who lifted uh you know that was close to you like a lot of my buddies they had no idea what they were doing it was like I, I was training half of my grade. <laughs> People would just see that I knew what I was doing and be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Can you help me? And I was helping everybody out. For, you know, I was a kid. I was just doing it for free. But, um, yeah, I think it's just evaluating reasonable risk uh, and reward based on, on your individual situation. I love that. And I think that, I th- that right there is, I think, the fundamental premises of it all. It's the coaching that you're getting into it. Because I used to work with kids, too, out on Long Island, who specifically played hockey. And like you said, like we never taught them how to snatch. We'd snatch pull. We would do power cleans. We'd do squats. We'd do a lot of gymnastics work. A lot of stuff that would teach proprioception and strength and how to move without actually like taking that risk to reward to a level that's unsustainable. So my question for you then is, coaching is obviously one of the biggest things with youth athletes. Let's say there's a parent listening and they're like deciding on, oh, should my, should my son or daughter get into training, do you think there's a best way to approach that and like kind of gauge the level of coaching that you might be putting them into? Because I think that's always the question, right? It's like, if you have no idea about training as a parent and you want your son or daughter who's playing a sport to get more active in the gym, how do you kind of decide like who's a good coach and like how to navigate that? Because I think that could be really tough sometimes. And I don't think that's often talked about. It's like everybody knows they need a good coach, but how do you actually decide what's a good coach for your son and daughter's goals, risk to reward, benefit, and so forth. Yeah, I think um, something that that a coach I had early on said to me that I, that always resonated with me was uh, just to give you a little bit of context. He he was uh, a strength coach, one of my the original trainers from that gym I was talking about, and I told him that I was going to this uh, camp over one of the winter breaks that was run by you know the uh, hockey players, and there was a strength training component or whatever. And he was like, it's like, what are you doing going to that camp? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, do I tell you how to play hockey? And I'm like, no. He's like, well, why are you going to go listen to hockey players to tell you how to get stronger? And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then how I would apply that to what we're talking about is seek out the specialists in what you want to do. You know, I think a lot of people... You see it all the time, and you're with your background in hockey. I'm sure you did too, where you do these dry land training sessions with these like hockey, like quote unquote hockey strength coaches, and the the quality of instruction that you're getting is usually very low. Sometimes even if you're going to somebody who knows what they're talking about, you're there with 20 other people. They inevitably are going to put you in some sort of circuit, you know, where you're doing like bench press really quick, and then you, you go into the next thing, and you go into the next thing, and and the quality of your movements not being assessed or corrected, uh, the actual amount of time you're spending on each exercise, the way this program is not optimal for actually getting stronger. So something that I was fortunate uh, in and what I would recommend to other parents is 
put your put your kid with a, an actual specialist. If you, if you want your kid to get stronger, go to you know you can go to uh, USA uh, the USAPL website and see all of the you know all of the different registered clubs that are in your area. You can take them to a powerlifting coach. You know you can if you want them to do Olympic weightlifting, you can take them to an Olympic weightlifting coach. If you want to take them to do uh, sprinting, you know you can find a sprint coach. But I think it's uh, it's important to to not cross over too much, you know, yeah. from taking your kid to a, from a, or to putting your kid into uh, just a generalist sort of program where they're going to yeah. pick up bad habits and, and training mistakes. Totally hear that. That's uh, that's funny. I like now you now that you said that. I'm going back to like when I used to go to those summer camps. And they would take us outside and just like have us do these mundane drills that are great because they take up time. They have structure to the days and whatever. But yeah, there's like no specialty there. And you feel and like I, you're working because you're tired after. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, get me to boop my nose a thousand times over and over again. I'm going to be tired. You know, yes, yeah, 100%. It's what if whether or not what you're doing is constructive towards your goal of getting stronger or not is, yeah. is the real issue. I also think it's cool too that there's more and more knowledge I think on especially with specialists in certain sports of how certain age groups develop certain skills at a little bit of a faster rate than otherwise so it's like and the topic I'm going to start to allude to is like when you're younger if you miss that window of building strong proprioception for example or coordination it only gets harder to learn as you age right and what I want to kind of talk about now is once we now that we've kind of talked about youth athletes training and sport is sport carryover to strength sports. So like you excel in powerlifting, you started in weightlifting, hockey is very explosive. And I think probably a lot of that, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, was developed at that age because you were used to being explosive. You knew how to move your limbs through space and time and coordinate different things. Like manipulating a hockey stick and a puck is hard. Manipulating a barbell from ground overhead is hard. But if you have that exposure, it's probably a lot easier to learn. So Kind of going off of that, what are your thoughts on sport carryover to strength sports? And do you see any commonalities between which types of sport athletes excel at certain sports better than most? Yeah, so I think, I mean, there's been a lot of research done on early specialization yeah. in sports and kids, and, and it's pretty much unanimously negative. You know, you, you're putting your kid into one sport or into a strength sport really early on, and that being the only thing that they do is is not great. Um, I think that the, that the more exposure to different sports yeah. that require different skills and, and strengths uh, at a young age, the better. And then you can sort of dial it in when you get older. I mean, me, for example, when I was growing up, I played soccer, baseball, hockey, rugby, and, and weightlifting. And then, uh, you know, I was always doing something and I was always practicing slightly different skills. Some were like, you know, it required a lot of hand-eye coordination. Some it was, you know, soccer where you're not using your hands at all. You know, just uh, weightlifting, very different, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I think the exposure to all those different things uh, really helps. You're just developing a ton of, of different skills that you yeah. wouldn't uh, elsewhere. But in terms of one that, that really carries over the most, I think it's tough to say. I think I think more than anything, it depends just on the predisposition of the actual individual. Like some people are just built to be really good at, at certain sports and, and some people are good to be, or built to, to be good at other sports. But I think, uh, you know, if you look at 
people who play traditional sports growing up, a lot of the times those are the ones that end up being the best uh, athletes in sort of the more non-traditional sports. You know, you get a guy who played D1, you know, baseball or, or football and they come over to a strength sport and, you know, it's like they've had this whole head start without sort of the injuries that have been accumulated by people who have been in powerlifting or CrossFit for a long time, you know. Look at some of the OGs of CrossFit. They're guys like Rich Broning who played college baseball or guys who did wrestling or Matt Frazier who did Olympic weightlifting and other sports growing up, you know. So, yeah, I think uh, sort of to summarize that, I don't know if there's any one sport that's the best one to put put some put a kid into, but I think definitely the exposure, the the more exposure you can get them, yeah. the better. Yeah, I I totally hear that because like I played soccer too growing up in midfield and like my endurance was through the roof. I did track and I I totally understand like the whole kind of picture. And I think as sports have grown and gotten so competitive, do you feel like parents are limiting their children by only putting them in one sport, even though we're continually seeing like, hey just doing this one thing is going to limit your kid somewhere because like as I stated earlier like you need different exposures to develop certain skills throughout certain ages and playing different sports is going to vary you with that so do you think we are kind of maybe getting a little bit far on the side of specialization and should we kind of let just let kids be kids in some respects i think so yeah in both senses i mean speaking from my own experience it was even apparent back that back when i was playing hockey the hockey season never ended. It was, you know, it's one of the longest uh, sports seasons in general in professional sports. But then, in addition to that, you know, the season ends, and then you have the playoffs, which can, you know, if you go all the way, can be almost as long as the season. And then that wraps up, and you're in summer leagues, and you're doing all the summer training, and and it's just a year-round process, and and there's really no time to do any of these other things unless it, you know you're really really structured or you decide to take time off, like. For me, it got to a point where my dad, my dad was basically just like, "Nah, we're taking the summers off as a family." So I didn't play in the summer leagues. You know, I would I would get on the ice a couple times a week, but we had a summer place in the east coast of Canada, and we'd go out there, and basically the whole summer was just spent. We had a like a garage gym out there, and I would just spend the whole summer trying to get strong, and that was my main focus. And then I would come back to to camp in the winter. Uh, or in the fall and I would always be the strongest guy and it wasn't a coincidence you know it's not like I forgot how to skate or stick handle when when I was gone like I said I still got on the ice every once in a while but I think uh, you know that's such a a huge opportunity the off season in traditional sports for kids to make progress in in the gym and in both in strength and in endurance or whatever whatever you need for your sport but people get so wrapped up in the like just the everyday skills and drills of of hockey that uh, they forget and neglect that aspect. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same with other sports as well. I'm just speaking from experience because yeah. that's what I have the most experience in. But I'm sure you know football has their summer camps and all that stuff where they're, they're yeah. on the field all the time. Totally. Um, on the topic of being exposed to multiple types of sport growing up and excelling then later on in life. In strength training in general, like I feel like a lot of folks get their exposure, their first exposure, by just kind of booping around the gym, trying out a bunch of different stuff. And I feel like in some ways, that's kind of similar to trying a bunch of different sports. And then as you learn how you like to train and as you grow and what your strengths are, you kind of, I think, dive into a strength sport if you want to go down that route. Do you think it's important when starting strength training in general to try and to kind of try a little bit of everything. Not just, let's say, if you just want to start strength training, jumping right into powerlifting per se. Granted, that's not necessarily wrong to do by any means, but do you think it's a 
somewhat limiting, I want to say, to just jump in straight into one niche as opposed to just trying a couple different things, moving your body in different ways and giving yourself maybe a couple of mesocycles, maybe a year to try out a bunch of different kinds of training. Yeah, I think there's there's so much progress that can be made literally just from a person who hasn't uh, you know, trained before to just coming in the gym and just doing random stuff, you know, as long as you're not killing yourself with, you know, bad, bad technique and, and grinding out reps. But if you're following just, you know, you walk into the gym and you're like, Hey, I did back and buys yesterday. I'm going to do chest and tries today. You'd be amazed at the amount of progress that you can make just doing that. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see with people jumping into powerlifting is that they'll jump into powerlifting and do this super advanced program as like their first program. And it's like, well, you're training six days a week now. Your intensity is super high. You're maxing out these variables so early in your your strength training career. It's like, what are you going to do when your progress stalls? You're gonna what? Now you're gonna train every day, or you're gonna train twice a day, or you're gonna you're gonna try to increase the intensity even higher than what you're doing now. It's like, I think in powerlifting even more so than than most other sports it's a game of doing as little as you can to still make progress because ultimately what makes people the most successful in powerlifting is just never getting hurt. If you don't get injured and you can just continue to make slow and steady progress for your entire career, that's where you're going to see the most progress because I mean, talk to any powerlifter. The first thing they tell you is they'll just riddle off all the injuries they've had over their career. And I think that's the most limiting thing. So if you can get in the gym and just exercise and improve yourself in a non-structured way to begin with i think down the road adding structure and focusing more on uh you know frequency volume and all those things uh will pay off more once you know once you've already maxed out sort of the the other the other stuff yeah um question for you there then so let's say there's a listener out there who's like okay i really want to get into powerlifting but i'm still pretty fresh into strength training in general do you think it's okay for them to approach a powerlifting, like let's say meet or training cycle and then giving themselves a longer off season? Like I feel like for a beginner who wants to dive into a strength sport or niche, just make their seasonal training or in season way shorter and then get them a ton of off season exposure to a bunch of different training. Like how do you feel about that? And like, how would you approach that? So you have somebody coming to you, they've only been training for about a year, but they really want to compete in powerlifting for the first time and really try and just see what it feels like, see if it's for them. How would you kind of structure that program and take on what they want to accomplish and what they want to do? I actually think that competing early on into your powerlifting career, once you've made that switch to, okay, I'm going to do powerlifting now is uh, really beneficial. Um, I think you don't need to be running like full training cycles and peaking for every meet that you do. But if you can just sort of walk into to meets when, you know, the weight that you're lifting is, is relatively light uh, and you can get that experience on the platform, I think that's a great thing because, you know, how many times have you seen a guy who's, you know, he's trained a whole bunch, he's strong now, he goes to his first meet and drops a deadlift from the top or takes a step too early to put the barbell in the rack, you know, and you make these silly mistakes that cost you, uh, you know, cost you uh, kilos on your total uh, just because you don't have the experience. And I think that cutting your learning curve by just being around other people who have done meets, being at the meet and seeing how they're run and, and all that stuff is, is really uh great to do early on. I just don't think you need to prioritize it the same way you do 
when you're later in your career. Yeah. You know, like when I was squatting 400 pounds, I could have done a meet every weekend and felt great. And, uh, you know, I did, I did a lot of meets. There were years where I did like eight meets, which is insane in powerlifting, you know, but now I'm lifting a lot heavier. It's a lot more difficult, uh, or a lot more, uh, taxing on my body. So if I do two meets a year now, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. So I think it's, uh, to summarize my long winded answer, I think it's good to jump into meets early on. Gotcha. Yeah. I love that, man. I think as a whole, I think the strength sports community can be a little bit extreme, especially when you're an intermediate or beginner with diving super head in. Like even now, man, when I compete, like I am by nowhere near as strong as you or Steph, obviously relatively. And that's why like when I approach meets, like I kind of still approach it with a somewhat similar training style. Like I drop some of my accessories and focus a little bit more on the specificity of the big three. But yeah, like I know deep down, like, look, I'm not at a level to where I really cannot compete that often. You know, it's like one of those things that I think you got to learn as you go. And I love that you made that point because I think as a whole, we can get into the mindset of like, oh, like this is all in or none, but it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that shadows a lot of what we talked about today. So my final question to kind of cap this podcast is we talked about youth training, talked about folks who are just getting the strength training, diving into a strength sport niche. Do you have any advice for any listener who's been on the cusp of diving into a strength sport and has been a little bit uncertain to do it? I know your mindset is like, just do it. It's really beneficial, but it's not easy for everybody, right? It can be very intimidating. Like powerlifting meets are, yeah, like they're great. Everybody's so supportive, but I think it takes a bit to get somebody's confidence up to approach that and see that and learn that. So do you have any advice for somebody who might be on the cusp of going into their first meet and they're a little bit uncertain, maybe they're newer to training, but they're really into a certain strength sport? Like, how do you approach that mindset? How would you coach them to get there? Yeah, I think you you nailed it when you said it can be intimidating, especially in powerlifting and, and Olympic weightlifting and strength sports in general. It's not like the NFL where, you know, NFL players play in the NFL. And if you're a peewee player, you're totally removed from it. You know, you could go to a local meet and Dan Green's competing, you know, so it, it's it's both intimidating and really cool in the sense that you can sort of, as a total beginner, walk onto the stage, same stage as some of your heroes and compete alongside them. Um, but I think that just putting yourself in a comfortable situation, um, surrounded by people, uh, you know, who have your best interests at heart are, is the way to go. So if you're going to do a meet, have your coach or have, have some buddies come so that they can handle you and count your attempts and help you with the warm up. you know, just have a good support system where you feel comfortable and it feels just like another training session. And like I said earlier, the inclusive community of powerlifting is, is what made me love the sport so much. So I think even though on its surface, it may seem like an intimidating sport, if you go there and you tell people it's your first meet, you'd be surprised at how many people are just willing to help you and be like, Hey, do you know how much a 25 kilo plate is in pounds? Do you know what's on the bar there? Like, you know, they'll make sure you know what you're doing, uh, and that you're not, you're messing things up. So I think the, the inclusivity of powerlifting is, is surprising, uh, and awesome. And also just have, have people with you who, who care about you and who are going to help you succeed in your meet. And other than that, don't be a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> so build a community basically and yeah. find a good coach, find folks who support you and 
Oh, you don't. You never have to weather it alone. Yeah, community. I think is the most important thing to build for yourself in any sport. But I think it's particularly easy to do in powerlifting, just because of you know the low barriers to entry and how la- like relaxed some some of those local competitions are. You know, you can have p- people just walk out of the crowd and are judging. You know, or you know they won't care who comes into the back room with you. And yeah. you just, there's a lot of leeway there. And I think it's just a fun fun environment to be a part of. Gotcha. Um, I actually thought of a question before we go. I want to ask you. Growing up, when your dad was getting you into strength training, was he super, super like hardcore? You're going to do this, and if so, what is one of the, like your funniest stories growing up of something that he made you do for training or to get better at hockey that you look back at now and you're like, "Damn, like why did I do that?" Or like, "Damn, that was that was rough." Um, I think once I started actually lifting, uh, well, and even about doing body weight training. He was good in that he held me back a lot. Like he knew I was interested in it, and he—I think he was holding himself back a little bit too. Because you know, I think for him, he wanted to see you know what he could do with his kid, and it was kind of like a fun experiment for him. So you know, once I was old enough to actually work out, uh, I didn't really do anything crazy. He was pretty good with knowing the limitations of what he could coach, but he did tell me that when I was much younger just like as a way to sort of subliminally train me he would have me do things like you know he would set up things on the the lawn and make me jump from one to the other you know and convince me that it was like you know it was a game we're playing but really he's like yeah he's secretly training me to be the like the the what's the soldier the uh, um, <laughs> i don't know I, but he you know to to be this like like this low key super kid yeah um which i I think is awesome in hindsight um but i just thought it was funny hey mr miyagi yeah basically (laughs) that's great you and i had very different experiences growing up my dad was your dad hardcore oh my dude he was the college football (laughs) player like there were some summers where we'd be out there like as i lived i grew up in missouri so we we had a huge field behind us and we had a harness and he's like this is gonna be so great for you like so we're gonna get a harness or it's gonna be great and i'm like oh cool a harness like what are we gonna use that he gets this huge tire He's like, you're going to pull this tire. And he's like, you're going to do 40 yard sprints. And until you can improve your time three times in a row, we're not stopping. And oh so, like, I didn't learn how to play that game until I was like a month into <laughs> it, where I'm like, all right, if Gotta I kind of <laughs> sandbag it as I go, like, I'll get out of this quick, man. Like, that's so funny. Dad. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, that detail from your past. I think that's really cool. Sounds like you had a great coming up, and I appreciate you for coming on the Barbit Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. Hey, thanks for having me. I had a great time. <laughs>